Blog Talk Radio. everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is April the 13th, Friday, April the 13th, but we're not superstitious around here, and I hope you aren't either. Uh, and it's 2018. We finally had uh, the first day of spring here in New York City, and uh, what a delight, what a change of pace. But not for long. They say it's going to get cold again. Boy, this uh, climate change has been getting to me. I don't know about you. But anyway, I thank you for joining me so that we can play that game of catch-up that we do every week on Fridays to try to figure out um, where this country is headed, where the world is headed. And uh, I sometimes think that Rod Serling of uh, Twilight Zone fame has been writing the script. I don't doubt you would agree with that. Those of you who are familiar with me, who are familiar with my program, know that I'm a retired senior special agent with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, an agency that was sliced, diced, ripped apart, and reconstituted under the Department of Homeland Security by President George W. Bush. It was done so poorly, I came to call DHS the Department of Homeland Surrender. And while things are better under the current administration, there is so much about immigration that leaves me wanting to pull Uh, the hair out of my head. Uh, I'm resisting the urge, but it is frustrating. Uh, You know, I write for a bunch of websites, and since 9-11, this is how I've been trying to communicate. Uh, I've also been invited on a number of times to um, NRA TV. Yep, the National Rifle Association has a TV show, and I was on with Dana Loesch a week ago. I hope to be on with her again soon to talk about what else, immigration, I was on also with Graham Ledger, same topic, and we were looking at uh, what is going on in Mexico with the caravan headed this way, a crazy set of circumstances. And I've also written a couple of articles for one of my favorite website locations. That, of course, is Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. Very proud to have been writing for them now for a few years. And this week, we we had a doubleheader. On April the 9th, I wrote an article, or at least they published an article that I wrote. The title, Fears About Chinese Trade War Are Late and Dumb. The subtitle, China Has Been Waging Economic War Against the U.S. for Decades. And two days later, Front Page published my next article, Reinforcing Our National Guard at the Border, The Steps That Must Be Taken to Really Stop illegal entries. So we can dig right into all of this. Uh, Again, if you're familiar with me, you know my own personal website is michaelcutler.net. And again, I write for frontpagemag.com, The Social Contract. By the way, The Social Contract has a 30-odd page booklet coming out that we just finished. It's at the publishers. I'm expecting them to post it online. The name of the book, Immigration Immigration Fraud, Lies That Kill, It's really a remake of an article I wrote for their quarterly journal a couple of years ago, but we added more material, brought it up to date. And this is the issue that no one seems to talk about, how aliens who are able to game the immigration system are able to enter the United States, they're able to embed themselves in our country, to use the jargon of the 9-11 Commission. Uh, You might think of it as hiding in plain sight. Big issue. Uh, Aliens getting involved in marriage fraud, Uh, labor fraud, getting phony documents, concealing uh, relevant information about their backgrounds that would render them ineligible for visas. Perhaps they have criminal histories. Perhaps they have a nexus to terrorism or gangs uh, or they're wanted fugitives or war criminals. Um, And there's been a couple of news releases within the past couple of weeks from Justice Department about people who have been denaturalized because the fact that they were war criminals was Uh, kept out of their naturalization file, and after the fact, uh, these folks were discovered to have lied about their involvement with some truly disgusting, nefarious, 
horrific crimes, uh, the murder of innocents and so forth, uh, this having been Holocaust Remembrance Week or Remembrance Day just a couple days ago, uh, same sort of thing we saw with the Holocaust. Of course, the Holocaust on a much larger scale, much, much, much larger scale. But um, just to, to stop for a moment and, and think about Holocaust Remembrance, um, my first wife who died uh, more than three decades ago, her parents were caught up in the Holocaust. Her mother was in a concentration camp. Her father, my father-in-law, uh, was on the run in the forests in Poland. There have been movies made about this sort of thing, hiding from the Nazis, always one step ahead. His brother was killed by the Nazis. Uh, his family was wiped out by them. And um, they would get an invitation every year to go to the Holocaust Memorial Services at Temple Emanuel in Manhattan. Temple Emanuel is a magnificent synagogue. Um, it's kind of on par with St. Patrick's Cathedral, the Catholic Church that everyone is so familiar with. It's not that far from uh, St. Pat's either. And a few, number of years ago, time flies, I'm going to guess maybe 20 years ago. Well, no, it wouldn't have been 20, perhaps less than 20 years ago, but um, I believe it was shortly after 9-11, uh, which is actually almost 20 years ago. They suggested that I take um, my oldest son and my second oldest son to the services. They were getting too old to make the trek into the city and thought that at least a couple of my kids should be part of this. And um, it, it was just absolutely remarkable. Alan Dershowitz spoke. I can listen to, uh, to Dershowitz speak for hours. He's a brilliant speaker, a very bright constitutional lawyer, very fair guy. And he, of all people, quoted Joseph Stalin and said, you know, uh, when we talk about mass murder, we always need to understand that each and every person who is killed is a separate and discreet murder. Don't get caught up in the numbers. And of all the people he might have quoted, he quoted Joseph Stalin because Stalin infamously said that a million deaths was a statistic, but one death, one death is a tragedy. So with that in mind, the idea that war criminals would machine gun innocent people, would torture the elderly and children, and then kill them, and come to America fleeing justice uh, is as repugnant as it gets. And this is all part of why we need to enforce the immigration laws, why we need to have integrity to the system. It's about making certain that America does not provide safe haven, haven for some truly despicable uh, pieces of human detritus. There are so many reasons why our borders must be secured. And in one case, we had an individual in the Middle East who was killing Christians, naturalized, concealed his crimes. Uh, eventually it was discovered, so he's going to be denaturalized or was denaturalized. But, but this is the sort of nonsense uh, that happens when you don't have a secure immigration system, when you provide asylum and citizenship and green cards to aliens when we are unable to determine their true backgrounds. And, you know, the game of intimidation has been played very successfully by the immigration anarchists. If you dare suggest that anybody from any country not be immediately welcomed into the bosom of the United States, you're a despicable xenophobe racist. And that's not true at all. Not in the least. It's about being responsible stewards of our country uh, for the pres preservation of national security and public safety for the preservation of our nation, for ourselves, for our children, for our grandchildren. Uh, this is not anti-immigrant to say, well, we want to make certain we don't let in criminals, fugitives, terrorists, and spies. It's about national security. During the Second World War, the enemy combatants of the United States, uh, Nazi saboteurs, entered the United States on U-boats. Today they're not coming on U-boats. America's enemies are coming on airliners. And America's enemies are running our borders, and they might be stowing away on ships. So bear that in mind. And, and please, have a spine. Stand up. When someone makes the accusation that you want our borders secured and the immigration laws enforced because you're a terrible person, don't you dare back down. I'm not asking anyone to get physical. That's the last thing I want. But words are weapons. Debate has been described as non-physical combat. Debate has also been described, if you ever saw that wonderful movie starring one of my favorite actors, Denzel Washington, where he played the part of a debate coach 
to James Farmer, um, he said debate was blood sport. I was going to teach debate on the college level, had the opportunity to become a federal agent, not popped up. But uh, that had been my plan because I was on the debating teams in high school and college. And if you'll notice, college campuses shutting down debate, safe spaces. Why? Because the anarchists know they can't win an honest debate. So rather than lose, they shut down the discussion so you only have a choice of one, what they have to offer the students. And that's not democracy, folks. The First Amendment is the First Amendment for a very good reason. So we need to learn to stand up, not with violence, but with logic, with facts, with reason. Uh, that's why I do the program, to give you the ammunition so that when you are confronted by these idiots, these boobs, these fools, these anarchists, that you know how to respond because you are armed with the information. Facts are stubborn things, as John Adams said. This program is about providing the facts. So let's, let's now turn to uh, my first article, the April 9th article about China and uh, the so-called um, trade war that we're all so concerned about. What prompted my article, and you know I wrote a piece a week earlier about how we were educating our adversaries. Certainly China is an adversary. By anybody's definition, China is not an ally. It's a communist country. Their president is president for life. I don't know where you come from, but where I come from, we call that a dictator. President for life flies in the face of any notion of democracy. This guy's going to be there forever as long as he's breathing. So he's not accountable to the people. After what happened at Tiananmen Square around, I believe it was 1989, when that brave young student stood in front of the Chinese tanks at Tiananmen Square, there was some rollbacks. They started to liberalize China a bit. But now that they've got a president for life, they're rolling all that stuff back. Make no mistake, China is a totalitarian state. Their track record on human rights is abysmal. I think of them as being North Korea light and not all that light either. Remember, it was China that was selling body parts of their own citizens. All kinds of crazy, despicable nonsense. And yet George Bush Sr., when he was in the White House, gave China most favored nation status. Bill Clinton, after he came to power, said, oh, no, 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 we're going to stop this. said that during the election, as soon as he was elected president, was sitting in the Oval Office, he renewed it. His excuse, well, they're doing such terrible things where human rights are concerned. Maybe we can persuade them. How? By bribing him? He's not an American politician, Bill Clinton. I know American politicians all too often are easy to bribe, but not the leaders of totalitarian states. You know, it's the old joke of what do you give the man who has everything? So we continue this policy. We allowed them to rob us blind. They hack our computers along with, uh, in, uh, along with uh, in, uh, Iran and Russia, and what do we do? We educate their students in the United States to be computer programmers. What next? Are we going to teach MS-13 and, and the mafia, uh, teach those guys how to shoot better and give them better weapons? Why on earth are we providing a country that, as a matter of routine, hacks our computers, engages in large-scale industrial espionage and other espionage, rattles its sabers at us, sabers designed by engineers we educated in the United States, they build an artificial island in the South China Sea and illegally warn us to stay away or else. They buzz our military ships and our military airplanes. But they're our most favored nation. They're our buddies. They're just playing with us. That's all this is. And if you believe that story, you know, I, I look at all of what we have been doing in the name of commerce, and I'm forced to think of the communists who sell that the capitalists would sell the rope with which they would hang us. There's a fire sale on rope going on right now. And so this is something that has been upsetting me for the longest time, angering me. Uh, this has nothing to do with the Mexican border or Latinos, and that's why when I hear this garbage, Latino voter, which, by the way, is a statement of racism, bigotry, all Americans are essentially the same, and I don't care what your skin color, your race, or your religion is. Every rational American, whether they lean towards the Democrat or the Republican side or 
or they're libertarians. The one thing that I think all Americans agree on, if they're rational, we want the military to keep our enemy as far from our shores as possible. We want law enforcement to keep our streets as safe as possible. And we want the schools to educate our kids effectively so that any American, irrespective of what I call the superficial issues, race, religion, ethnicity, gender, any American willing to study hard, work hard, and benefit from a little bit of good old-fashioned luck thrown in for good measure, can write the American success story. So with all the talk about the border and immigration and tariffs, why is nobody questioning why right now we have over 152,000 Chinese students studying the STEM curriculum in the United States? By the way, we have even more students from India than we have from China, and coming in in third place, Saudi Arabia. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? We're teaching 152,000 Chinese students the STEM curriculum, science, technology, engineering, math. I wouldn't mind if they were here learning music, learning to be artists. That's fine. Even architects, it's a little iffy, but okay. But we're teaching engineering. We're teaching physics. We're teaching biochemistry. So look at how we get rewarded. And this was what prompted this most recent article that I wrote about the Chinese trade war issue. Because as it turns out, the Justice Department issued a press release on April the 4th, the title of the press release, Chinese scientists sentenced to prison in theft of engineered rice. You might think, oh, rice, big deal, it's food. Well, this particular rice wasn't food. Um, the company that did this in Kansas found a way to develop proteins in the rice that had medical um, implications, very serious medical implications to treat people. And, and the company in question had spent many years and millions upon millions of dollars doing all the research to develop this particular strain of rice. The company's name was Ventria. And here's how it's described in the news release from the Justice Department. Ventria develops genetically programmed rice to express recombinant human proteins, which are then extracted for use in therapeutic and medical fields. So to be honest, I'm out of my element in speaking about this. I, I was going to be an engineer way back when, but biology wasn't my best subject. But the point is that this is a very significant development. And we have an individual from China by the name of Wakyang Zhang, 51 years old. He had a green card. And by the way, he got his PhD at Louisiana State University here in the United States. He got his PhD in the United States. We provided him with lawful resident alien status. We placed them, folks, on the pathway to United States citizenship. What more could we do for this guy? You know, all that garbage we heard from Mitt Romney when he was running for the presidency? We need to bring in all these foreign students and to make sure they don't go halfway across the world, let's staple green cards onto their diplomas. Well, I don't know if Mr. Zhang got his green card after he got his Ph.D. or before. I don't know what the sequence was. It doesn't matter. The point is that because he had that Ph.D., he got to work with his company, Ventria. And then he contacts his friends back in China. They come to the United States. He gives them a tour of the factory so the, or, or the laboratories so they could see what they were doing. And on their way out of the United States, fortunately, Customs and Border Protection do outbound inspections. And lo and behold, they opened up their suitcases and they found a sampling of these seeds, which would have enabled China to take advantage of years of research and millions of dollars in expenses and immediately go to market with what they stole. They could have wrecked havoc on Ventria because Ventria has to put into its cost, when they sell their product, the cost of developing them. That's only fair. Research and development has to be part of every product that's on the marketplace. China expended no money on research and development. China just walked in and stole it. Kind of like a fence 
breaks into someone's house, grabs a, you know, pearls and diamonds, and sells it. This is what China has been doing to us over and over and over again. They have an army of hackers, thousands upon thousands of hackers. They hack our computers every day of the week, every minute of every day, every second of every minute. Corporate computers, government computers, military computers, law enforcement computers, private computers. A couple of years ago, the Office of Professional Management said that a Chinese company, and don't ask me how that happened, that was contracted to do computer work, IT work for the federal government, used to be this nonsense would never happen, stole the records of millions of government employees. I was one of them. Not a fun uh, email to get from the U.S. government. Congratulations, you've been hacked, or we've been hacked, because we're idiots, because we're fools. This is the kind of stuff that keeps on happening, and in response you hear crickets, nothing, zippo. It's infuriating, it's dangerous. We're giving our adversaries everything they could possibly want, and when the president stands up and says, you know, we've got to do better, all of the hand-wringing from our good, wonderful buddies in the Republican Party and the nimrods of the Democratic Party, oh, my God, Trump is going to start a trade war. And the wonderful folks at the United States Chamber of Horrors, uh, Chamber of Commerce, I get those words confused all the time, they jump up, oh, trade war, and the stock market starts shaking. The stock market should have been shaking for the past 30 years, folks. We've been robbed blind. If you look at the Chinese fighter planes and nuclear submarines, where do you think the technology came from? And who do they share it with? Their good friends and our bitter enemies, the North Koreans. And by the way, and I mentioned it last week, I'm going to mention it again. Foreign students who study in the United States become eligible for what's known as optional practical training. They get, I believe it's now two years to work after they get their degree, and they can also work while they're studying here so they can apply what they're learning in the classroom in the real world. Now, what does that mean? It means that American companies who don't give a damn about their employees or about America fire Americans and employ these foreign students because they are less expensive. So American, middle-class, dedicated, talented, experienced workers get fired, very often can't find a replacement job, not just the computer industry, although it runs rampantly through that industry. And we bring in people from China who very often, and other countries, commit intellectual property theft. They ignore copyright laws and patent laws. They just don't care. And what have we done about it? Essentially, nothing. We pick off the occasional guy like this guy, Zhang, and he's got, he was sentenced to 121 months in jail, so he'll be cooling his jets for a while. And I hope we deport his rear end out of here when he gets out of prison. But the point of the matter is, if it wasn't for the sharp-eyed CBP, Customs and Border Protection folks at the airport, China would have gotten away with it. And, in fact, there was an article or, or a point made in the article um, that I read about it where cartoonists, when China does this, call it Chinese takeout. It might give people a little chuckle, but there's nothing funny here. We are enabling China to outpace us in building weaponry. Who do you think is going to be facing down those weapons? Our members of the armed forces. They're not at war with anybody, but they have the largest assembly line in the world right now for building nuclear submarines. Why are they cranking out so many nuclear submarines? Take a wild guess. They are determined to become the dominant force in the world. They are all over Africa. They're all over Latin America. They're looking for new energy and new natural resources. And what are we doing to stop this? Nothing. We are aiding, abetting, and facilitating this nonsense. I remember for years we used to hear about nuclear nonproliferation. I remember Jimmy Carter, the supposed nuclear engineer who called himself a nuclear engineer and couldn't pronounce proliferation, uh, the brain trust that we have working for us in the White House all too often. We're going to have nuclear nonproliferation. But 
will teach nuclear physics to our adversaries. What could possibly go wrong? And what's so remarkable is that Diane Feinstein, back in 1998, February the 24th, two days short of the fifth anniversary of the bombing at the World Trade Center that left six dead, over a thousand injured, inflicted over a half billion in damages, almost brought one of the towers down. There was a hearing five years afterwards. They move quickly in Congress, don't they? Five years after the attack, let's have a hearing. I mean, think about that. Could they move any slower? Well, I guess they could do it in reverse. So they have this hearing about foreign terrorists operating in the United States. Diane Feinstein jumped up and said, you know, maybe we should end the visa waiver program. It was actually a pilot program then. Well, I've been screaming about that forever. And then she said, maybe we shouldn't be giving visas to aliens that come from countries that sponsor terrorism. Well, back then that was easier to identify because today you have first-generation citizens in European countries that have the visa waiver program, but they were born to parents who came from the Middle East who perhaps harbor resentment and anger and hostility towards the West. So they're raising little terrorists in Europe, and we've seen what happens with that, all those deadly attacks. But we'll keep the visa waiver program. And Congress, in its little bit of slight of language instead of sleight of hand, oh, we're going to come up with an enhanced visa waiver program, so we'll keep everybody safe. And the average dumb American says, oh, thank God they're on the case. And how do they do that? How do they enhance the visa waiver program? If you are a citizen of a, from a visa waiver country, but in the last 90 days, you've been to a half dozen countries, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan. I don't have the list in front of me. It doesn't matter. You get the idea. If you're that person, you will now need a visa to come to the United States. So the obvious question is, how in the world will our people know if these people have been to any one of those prohibited countries? And the answer is, we won't. But the Congress really doesn't care, folks. They could care less. But they've got to create the illusion. I'll, I'll make the, the analogy I've made before. It's the guy that promises to cut the woman in half, that very pretty assistant. And he knows if he really cuts her in half, he's going to kill her, he's going to go to jail. And even when he gets out of jail, whenever that is, no one will ever work with him again. So he knows he can't hurt a hair on her head, but he has to create a convincing illusion that he cut her in half. And everyone is entertained, and everybody claps, and everybody goes home happy. But nobody dies. On the other hand, the politicians know that the great majority of Americans, I don't care what party you're with or, or, or identify with, they know that the average American wants our border secured, our immigration laws enforced, but they also know, just like cutting the woman in half, if they really do it, the people who bribe them, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and a laundry list of other globalist outfits, will stop writing the checks. So they know that they have to promise they have to promise to secure the border. They have to promise to address the issue. By, but at the same time, they've got to make certain that nothing they promise comes to pass. This is the game they play. And they've been successful in convincing too many Americans who haven't been paying attention that they're actually looking out for us. Look out, indeed. <laughs> when they say look out, turn around to make sure you're not getting knifed in the back by these bums. It's both parties. They want the campaign contributions. They want the cheap labor, the prospect of votes, whatever it is that floats their boat. Oh, and by the way, and I have to make this point, think of how many members of Congress, both parties, both parties, both sides of the aisle, frick and frack, are immigration lawyers. So they see aliens headed for the United States. They don't see a problem. They see clientele. And when these folks leave Congress, and we have a couple doing that now who are immigration lawyers, when they leave Congress after January, they will go in probably to private practice as immigration lawyers, and they're trying to get laws passed. That would be fabulous for immigration attorneys. They're feathering their nests. They have a conflict of interest. And they're supposed to be representing we the people. This is such a betrayal of their oaths of office, of their campaign promises, of just decent standards. Decent standards. They're elected to represent us. They're elected to protect America. And they could care less. And they can't wait to hit the ground running 
because once they're out of Congress, they can hang a shingle on some law firm and make some pretty good money, folks. And they're going to make sure that before they leave, they're going to try to get laws enacted that will um, feather their nests. And if that isn't a conflict of interest, I'd certainly love to know what is. And you have people who have children. Their kids are involved in the computer industry. Some people in lofty positions in Congress. They won't be there in January. But their kids would love to have lots of Indian programmers. So you wonder why we have H-1B visas. You wonder why there's a proposal right now to give H-1B visa holders green cards. There's no compassion here. It's duplicitous betrayal of American high-tech workers. That's what it is. There's no other way to describe it. And they're shameless about it because Congress has itself convinced that they are above the law. They are lawmakers, but they grin and, and wink when they know people violate the laws that were written by a prior Congress. How can you be a lawmaker and condone law violators? Think about that. Think about that. Your whole career, your, your profession is to write laws. You see people walk all over existing law, and they're okay with it. And I've seen this in state legislatures. I testified before the Maryland State uh, Legislature. I saw that years ago. One of the legislators looked at me and said, Mr. Cutler, we all know people violate the law. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? You're writing laws and you don't want them enforced? Then why are you here? I, I really want to ask most of these legislators why they're there, what it is they think they're supposed to be doing. You would think that anybody who is a serious legislator would be particularly offended when people violate the laws. Not so much. It depends. There are some good people, people like Chuck Grassley, my friend Lou Barletta running for the Senate in, uh, from Pennsylvania. But how many members of Congress, both parties, you know, make a big joke about the fact that there are people out there violating the laws? Look at immigration. And look at the nonsense that we're told. Well, you know, we can't arrest 11 million, so the best we can do is give them lawful status. We'll know who they are. We'll bring them out of the shadows. Not so much, because there's no money or no agents that are going to be hired to find the ones that don't come out voluntarily. And where else but in immigration law do you ever hear the argument that we may as well give people basically an amnesty, and they argue it's not an amnesty. I don't care what you call it. You can call it a rutabagus for all I care. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and craps like a duck, it must be a duck. And, and so they, they, they want to give people lawful status because we just can't arrest them all. There's many more people with driver's licenses and cell phones than there are illegal aliens in the United States, yet I've never heard anybody say, well, there's just too many people with licenses and phones. We can't do anything about texting while driving. We can't do anything about driving and drinking because there's just too many people with driver's licenses who like that, that, that cold beer on the summer day. Um, there's just too many people who commit tax fraud for us to do anything about it. Do we ever hear that kind of reasoning with any other law? Of course not. It's all part of the magic act. It's all part of the I'm going to cut the woman in half routine. It's all a scam. And the American people for years have been scammed. And I think people are starting to wake up, which is why Trump got elected, which is why you look at what's going on in Orange County and in Southern California where suddenly the governor is facing mutiny. Governor Moonbeams is suddenly finding that local mayors are standing up to his lunacy of sanctuary state and saying, no, we won't do this. We're going to join the federal government's lawsuit. But please understand the risks that we're running by educating our adversaries. India comes in number one, and there was an individual from India who was involved in moving money to Anwar al-Awlaki, um, who's been prosecuted, being prosecuted for that. And he was educated in the United States, got an engineering degree. I can't tell you how many times we've seen aliens get engineering degrees and they were involved with terrorism. In fact, one of these uh, individuals referred to what was going on as the, um, the jihadi engineers. They were learning how to be engineers in the United States, I guess, so they could uh, create 
havoc wherever they went, and we educated the engineers. And this goes back to what Feinstein said, finally, because to finish up on Feinstein, she said, we ought to end the visa waiver program. Maybe we shouldn't be giving visas to aliens who come from countries that sponsor terrorism. And the third thing she said, perhaps we should not be giving education in, in high-tech fields to citizens of countries that sponsor terrorism. We shouldn't be teaching them biochemistry. We shouldn't be teaching them nuclear physics. Nobody fainted, but nobody did anything about it either. And my question is why? My question is why? Why would you provide the technology to people who are citizens of countries that have problems with terrorism or countries that are adversarial toward the United States why would you educate their citizens so they can go home and build up their military or they can go home and build weapons of mass destruction? This is suicidal. This is sheer lunacy. And it's still happening. And if we're going to talk about China, then I'd like to know why Chinese students are still able to study the STEM curriculum in the United States. If I was the president of the United States, I would tell China, you're done. Your students are all going home as long as your, your computer hackers are hacking our computers. And I don't care if you're going to tell me that it's not, they don't work for the government. Rain them in. Don't you dare buzz our fighter planes. We're not going to allow your students to study in the United States. Now, I have to tell you, we're locking the barn after the horses have been stolen. But enough is enough is enough. Why in the world would you educate Chinese engineers when they could act so aggressively against us. This is stupid. This is absolute idiocy. And I haven't heard anybody, I mean anybody, say anything about it. And I'd like to know why. Why in the world are we kowtowing to universities that are teaching pablum to their kids anyway, for the most part, their students? The federal government needs to step in and say no more student visas for foreign nationals from certain countries to study the STEM curriculum. It's just that simple. Why would you equip programmers with the ability to hack our computers? Why would you give terrorists the ability to make weapons of mass destruction? Why would you help countries that are adversarial to us build up their military that they plan to confront us with down the road? This is idiotic. It's suicide. This is suicidal. I don't know any other way of putting it. But this is where you come in. You need to call up your elected representative and raise the issues. Go to Front Page Magazine. Read my article. If you like it, I hope you like it. Send it to your congressman. Send it to a staff. Send it to your friends. Put it on Facebook. Get it out there. We are acting in a self-destructive fashion. There is no upside to this. There is zero upside. Long term, this is going to get people killed, American people killed. This is putting us in a lousy position, and we are doing it to ourselves. These are self-inflicted wounds. And this isn't a statement of xenophobia. But when you see time and again, and we know that there are thousands upon thousands of computer hackers in China, why are you teaching Chinese students to be better computer programmers? They threaten us with their military. Why let them educate their engineers in the United States and then get practical training so they get to commit acts of espionage against us? Please don't tell me this is xenophobia. This is just the desire that I have to see America and Americans survive. I want to make certain that our children and their children have a bright future. They won't have a bright future if the military in 20 or 30 years winds up confronting or being confronted by the Chinese military, and we enable them to build up that military. This is as dopey as it gets, folks. If I sound irate and angry, there's a good reason, and I hope it makes you as angry as it makes me. But please, when, when you're done listening to my program this weekend, send out some emails. Have people read the article. Raise these issues when you have conversations with your neighbors. You know, you go to church, you go to synagogue, um, Whatever it is you're doing, have the conversations. Let's have an honest conversation. Does this make any sense? Does it make any sense that we are providing our adversaries with the latest technology, the latest education, 
and opportunities to rob us blind. This is as dopey as it gets. And so now we get to my second article. The National Guard on the border is probably helpful. What President Trump is doing is of smaller scale than what George W. Bush did. And I can't forget that George Bush gave National Guardsmen medals when they retreated as, as aliens were coming across the border. It actually happened because the guardsmen aren't armed. Everyone's screaming, oh, my God, they're militarizing the border. You know, and you heard all that nonsense from Mexico. Would that we were. I mean, I do worry about the issue of posse comitatus. But the point of the matter is they're just going to be there in a support role. They're not going to be arresting anyone. They're not going to be confronting illegal aliens. They're not going to be armed. So it's great that the military's there, but they're basically going to be answering the phones and changing the oil on our cars and clearing up shrubs around the border so that it's easier to see what's going on, get rid of the tall grass and whatever else they're going to do. But I would rather we had many more Border Patrol agents. But I'll tell you what I would rather we had even more than that, even more than that, more immigration agents from within the interior, more immigration agents who really understand the mission, because most of the people working for ICE right now came on board during George W. Bush's administration, and Bush was not trying to help enforce the immigration law. In fact, and I've made this point innumerable times, John Hostetler, who used to be the Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, and I testified for John about eight or nine times, at a hearing conducted 44 months after 9-11, made it clear that he was angry about the way DHS was put together. DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, was created pursuant to the Homeland Security Act, which was enacted once the facts were established by the 9-11 Commission. And what did the 9-11 Commission find? First and foremost, the attacks of 9-11 were directly attributable to multiple failures of the immigration system, the way visas were issued, the way aliens were granted political asylum, the way aliens were granted visas to enter the United States, which is why it's so insane that on 9-11 we had 26 visa waiver countries, now we have 38 visa waiver countries. There should be zero visa waiver countries but the way that bush put everything together was designed to disrupt immigration law enforcement instead of and i had spoken at the uh, immigration reform caucus tom tancredo called me in six weeks after 9-11 and i testified without permission and the very next morning i got a package by super duper overnight express telling me i was no longer an agent because i had injured my leg i had a bum knee and I, was, I didn't want to stay home. I said, look, I can come in. I can't chase anybody. But goodness, I'm a senior special agent. Um, I spent years up at DEA intelligence. I could uh, be a, an intelligence officer in New York. I could do training with the new kids coming in. I could be a prosecution liaison officer. I'm not confined to a wheelchair. I, I just can't run up and down stairs and chase anybody. But everything else works pretty good for an old guy. Um, and I was certainly not old enough that I had to retire at that point. But they wanted me out because the theory was, I guess, that by getting rid of me, they'd shut me up. Well, how wonderful. You can see how well that worked out. They've shut me up as much as they've closed down the border. But the point is that when I testified for Tom Tancredo, I talked about what I call the immigration law enforcement tripod. And under my concept, the Border Patrol enforces immigration laws between ports of entry, the inspectors, and they did that job for four years, enforced the immigration laws at ports of entry. But what's always been neglected and left out of the equation is the interior enforcement of immigration laws. And if I see one more comment in response to my articles where they say, well, E-Verify solves the problem, that's about as naive and dopey as it gets. E-Verify, mandatory E-Verify is very helpful. But if and only if there are agents who can go out and investigate employers to make certain they're not hiring most of their people off the books. That's the way you get around E-Verify. If, they, if you hire people off the books, they don't show up anywhere. So if all you do is audit the paper, it will look as though they're in compliance. This is why you have auditors who go through tax returns. So if you say something that's obviously off the wall, IRS is going to take a fine tooth comb to your tax return we need to do that with employers 
we have 6,000 ICE agents for the entire United States of America. Half of them are doing customs work. And half the time, these agents are being detailed to augment Secret Service and conduct other investigations that have absolutely nothing to do with immigration. Under the concept of the tripod, these three components would have worked seamlessly. And I would have spun the immigration benefits program away from this, and the agents could have instilled that program with integrity. But that's not what Bush wanted. So he took ICE and made that separate from Customs and Border Protection, made that separate from Citizenship and Immigration Services, and, and, and then they split ICE into half um, so that they have Homeland Security Investigations, which HSI took the word immigration out of the title to de-emphasize immigration. Uh, the Bush administration could not have made it more clear that they did not want the immigration laws enforced. And then, of course, when Barack Obama came to office, all bets were off. But please understand, this is from both sides of the aisle. Both sides of the aisle. And both sides of the aisle want amnesty. And the division point between the Democrats and the Republicans is whether or not we give amnesty to aliens citizenship. The silliest argument I've ever heard. It's meaningless. I am sure they worked this out in a backroom session and everyone's laughing up their sleeves at how dopey Americans are. We admit a million lawful immigrants every year. There's absolutely no reason to reward people for coming to the United States illegally. We're spending over, six, we're spending over $13 billion a year and employing over 60,000 people to Customs and Border Protection. What's the point to that if it doesn't matter how you come here? And so when the president heard that there was this caravan from Honduras coming this way, uh, so he, he said, I'm going to send you know, the National Guard to the border. Okay, so here's the problem. When those aliens from Honduras get to the border, if they turn themselves over to the border patrol and yell the magic words, asylum, now political asylum used to be just that, political asylum. Because of race, religion, ethnicity, tribal affiliation, political affiliation, perhaps sexual orientation, if you faced persecution in your home country, we would consider giving you political asylum. It should be investigated, by the way, because we know that that's a tactic that's been used by the terrorists repeatedly in the United States, in Europe, all over the place, lying about credible fear. Think of the Tsarnaev family that came from Russia, claimed they couldn't go back to Russia, we gave them asylum, and they promptly went back to Russia. Ultimately, their two sons carried out that deadly attack in Boston around the Boston Marathon back on April 15, 2013. One of them had actually become a naturalized citizen. The other one had his green card. We need to know what's going on. And, and there have been hearings done about this. But in any event, so these people are going to come in yelling political asylum, but it's not about political. They're going to complain that it's too violent in their home countries. And indeed it is violent. According to a um, San Diego Union Tribune article last year, hold on to your seats, folks, over 29,000 people died in Mexico. Over 29,000 people died in Mexico. Mexico should be a very successful country. Uh, the same article, and this parallels other material I've seen, open source material, puts the Mexican economy at number 15 in the world. That's pretty high up there. Why then do they have abject poverty? Because of the drugs and because of the Mexican oligarchy controlled by people like Carlos Slim, who at one point was the wealthiest man in the world. So they have an oligarchy. 1% of the population controls something like 95% of the wealth. What's happening in America is America's wealthy are attempting to create the same sort of oligarchy in the United States that exists today in Mexico. That's why the middle class is contracting. It's going away. Because the oligarchy that controls the economy, that buys the politicians, think of Citizens United, unlimited amounts of money can be poured into political campaigns. This is nothing short of bribery. So the goal is to have more wealth. You know, the guy that steals a loaf of bread, you feel bad for him. You know he's hurting. But when you have billionaires rigging the system so they get still more money, this is 
psycho this is psychopathic behavior. This is outrageous. This makes the robber barons of the 1800s look like Boy Scouts. So you've got all this violence in Mexico, and the article in the San Diego Union Tribune said that actually Jamaica and Honduras, all these other countries per capita, are far more violent than Mexico. They're trying to paint Mexico in a good light, I guess. You can't. You can't. And, and the cost to the Mexican economy is astonishing. They, they actually peg the cost to the, Amer- to the Mexican economy in 2017, $249 billion in losses, which represented roughly 21% of the country's gross domestic product. That's the level of loss caused by the deaths because of the drug activity, the corruption, and all the other madness. Think about that. And it is accelerating. And, and, and so... How in the world do you not want to protect America from that level of violence? How in the world does anybody from any party oppose the president's desire to put up a wall and take whatever measures he needs to take or we need to take to make certain that the violence, the drugs, the craziness doesn't come across that border? And when you see all these Hondurans, and I made this point when I was on with Dana Loesch, I said, you know, we don't even know that the people who are part of those Honduran uh, caravans are are only from Honduras. And we don't know if there's any MS-13 members in there. Just the way that the terrorists have embedded themselves in the refugee flows, make no mistake, MS-13 embedded themselves with the unaccompanied minors and in this flow of humanity coming across the southern border. And we also have to worry very seriously that terrorists could easily embed themselves. Remember, you've got terror training camps in the tri-border region of Brazil, where Brazil abuts with Argentina and Paraguay. Those camps are run by Hamas, Hezbollah, probably ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Iran is sending shock troops every week to Caracas, Venezuela. So the likelihood is very strong that in those flows of individuals coming across the border are criminals, terrorists, and fugitives. How in the world do you ignore all that? And so I don't care where politicians stand, left or right, whether they like President Trump, they don't like President Trump. Don't they care about the the American citizens? Don't they care about the country and the oaths of office that they took? Don't they care about their own children? If you look at the level of narcotics in the United States and the opiate deaths, heroin is not produced in the United States. This stuff is pouring across the Mexican border It's coming in through the seaports. It's coming in every which way. And the solution isn't just the Mexican border. And this is the point. It's interior enforcement. Because no matter how the aliens get to the United States, ultimately they make their way to towns and cities across America. And once they get to those towns and cities, there's nothing that's done, appreciably done, to go after them. And you add to the confusion and the difficulties that we have the sanctuary cities. So the likelihood that an illegal alien is going to be found, arrested, and deported is probably slimmer than for that alien to try to buy a winning lottery ticket. The key to immigration enforcement isn't the border as much as interior enforcement. Because effective interior enforcement not only involves arresting illegal aliens, that's pretty obvious, It's also working on task forces. I spent 10 years with the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, the second largest contingent of agents assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force or immigration agents. Think about it. When foreign nationals enter the United States and they're terrorists, they violate our immigration laws. And for a number of reasons, it's very often advantageous to arrest such an individual, not for terrorism-related crimes, but for immigration-related crimes. It's easier to prove very often, and it doesn't tip his buddies, his cohorts off, that they're under investigation for terror-related activities. There's many reasons why going after the immigration aspect makes sense, but we don't have the agents to do that. And you have too many agents who came in at a time when immigration was laughed at by both Bush and Obama. So understand that the culture of the agency and the institutional memory is gone. 
So most people that now work at DHS, that work for ICE, came in after 9-11. And so their orientation, because of those two prior administrations, is to largely ignore immigration law violations. We need a sea change in the culture of the agency so they can understand that what immigration agents do is an adjunct to what the military does, keeping America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. And you also need the agents to go after the employers. And finally, you need the agents, and this is super important, to go after immigration fraud. Because immigration fraud was determined by the 9-11 Commission to be the key entry and embedding tactic of terrorists. We have thousands of people who got lawful status, even citizenship. They may have been involved in terrorism, but we naturalized them. We gave them political asylum. The Tsarnaevs are an example. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, another example. We can go down a whole list. I've been writing about these cases every time they pop up on the DOJ website as a press release. Uh, If you go back to Front Page Mag, you can pull up my past articles. There is no shortage of terrorists who were lawfully admitted into the United States and then applied for lawful status and succeeded. Now, that ought to tell everybody that this lack of integrity to the immigration system poses a threat to national security and public safety. And that's something that the Border Patrol can't begin to address. If the U.S.-Mexican border was bulletproof and protected by the deflector shield from the Starship Enterprise, 9-11 still would have happened the way it happened. The Boston attack would have still happened at the marathon the way it happened. San Bernardino would have happened the way it happened because the aliens involved did not run the Mexican border. Again, I'm not saying don't secure the Mexican border. We absolutely must but it's only one of many ways of entering the United States. That's why I wrote an article a while back for Front Page, and I called it Immigration uh, uh, Border Security and the Immigration Colander. The Mexican border represents only one hole in the bottom of a colander that you use to drain pasta. So rhetorically, I'm compelled to ask the question, how many holes do you need to have in the bottom of your rowboat for your rowboat to wind up at the bottom of the lake? The obvious answer is only one, and there are many holes. And plugging only the Mexican border without addressing the other vulnerabilities won't achieve what we need. And while it may be costly to do what needs to be done, it's more costly to not do anything about it. We're losing hundreds of billions of dollars in remittances being wired home by foreign nationals working in the United States, both legally and illegally. The drug trade is costing us a fortune. It's costing us human life. It's costing us um, our country. If you're going to protect a country, the security of that country begins at its borders. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce and labor unions and the banks and Wall Street, they see America's borders not as a line of their wealth. That has to change. And that's why it's very important for you to get involved. Please read my articles. Go to michaelcutler.net. Go to Front Page Magazine, The Social Contract. I write occasionally for Newsmax. Check out Dana Loesch's program on NRA TV and The Daily Ledger. But educate yourselves, folks. And please, we need you to get involved. You know, that's where it's at. Democracy is not a spectator sport. And if you think you're only one person, and one person can't make a difference, think of this. History has always been written by individuals who've stepped up to the plate at that moment in time when that one person could make all the difference in the world. Each and every one of us possesses that possibility. It's about getting educated and getting involved, having that conversation with your neighbors, not a fight, not an argument, just use the facts. Please consider forwarding my articles to as many folks as you can and become a part of my Bucket Brigade of Truth. Thank you for uh, sharing the hour with me today. I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Meanwhile, have a great weekend. Take good care. You're listening to another top-rated radio show on the U.S.